Acts chapter 9. Amazing chapter. Such a, uh, well, thrilling and frightening at the same time uh, of a chapter. And just put your finger in it. We're going to be reading from it in a little while. But um, it was interesting, Charlotte and, uh, and Jana coming out talking about outreach. And um, for years, um, I played cricket for uh, Leeds General Infirmary. And it was the pathology department, very learned guys, very technical guys. Uh, there was a couple of guys there that their job was to do post-mortems. And, uh, and they allowed me to play cricket because they said, well, you're a vicar. We chop them up, you bury them. <laughs> that was their rationale. <laughs> but, um, but when we started playing cricket, when I started, on the first day I played cricket with them, four of them came up to me and said, uh, we, know that we know what you do is a job. And we, we, we sort of respect it, but don't come pushing your fairy tales to us, okay? <laughs> they were really sort of like aggressively atheist. And um, which was interesting because we'd play cricket and then we'd all sort of like go into the bar or the nearest pub or something like that after the cricket game. And all night long, it'll be like, oh, what, what, so what does your God think about this, Andy? Or, or what does the Bible say about that? Or what, as a Christian, what do you believe about this? And it was like, you know, it was a barrage of questions. A lot of them I couldn't answer. And do you know what? There's no point in making it up. You might as well just shrug your shoulders and say, I ain't got a clue about that. You know, I'll, I'll try and find out for you. And it was like they were trying to catch me out every single Wednesday night when we played cricket. And after a while, I got a bit, I got a bit fed up of it, to be quite honest. I was like, you know, I enjoyed the cricket and I quite enjoyed the chat afterwards. But I didn't enjoy just being barraged by loads of questions about evolution and dinosaurs and this, that and the other and some of the stuff in the Old Testament that's not very nice and all that sort of stuff. And one day I was praying and I said, Lord, I'm getting a bit fed up with just answering all these questions. It's like University Challenge after every cricket match. I need you, I need you to, to turn up. I need you to do something just a little bit out of the ordinary. Well, be careful when you pray things like that. <laughs> because God takes you at, at your word and uh, we were playing cricket um well actually some friends over here will know Leicester Dyke in Bradford and uh, the cricket ground is uh, uh, it's a lovely cricket ground but actually it's all backed onto by um let's say a not salubrious estate it's quite a rough council estate and the kids from that estate where they loved it coming on and shooting the cricketers with the ball bearing guns. And um, actually, it was quite funny seeing some of the more middle class doctors getting shot up the backside and things like that. Uh, but um, one day, we were playing cricket, we were fielding, and um, there weren't many kids around. And then, after about two overs, two, two kids of about 14 came at the side of the cricket ground and they stood by a pile of like crushed up slate and um, there was all these like discs of slate they were about that big and they thought it'd be a great idea to skim these bits of slate at the cricketers anyway the guy who was nearest them was a lovely Indian guy doctor um, and um, 
he didn't know what to do. I mean, he was like, you know, ducking and weaving and dodging this, this slate. These kids were having a whale of a time. And so at the end of one over, I said to him, listen, I've done a bit of youth work. You come and field where I'm fielding. I'll go where you're fielding. You know, thinking that I could, I could do a bit of youth work, a bit of outreach. <laughs> and uh, so I walked towards these two lads and I said, guys, I said, I know we're rubbish at cricket. I said, but I don't think you want to put anybody in hospital. And if you hit me with that slate, I said, that will put me in hospital. And so I'm asking you, please don't throw that slate. And, uh, and I turned around and we got on with the game of cricket. And, you know, three balls went by and it was, it was going fine. And the fourth ball come and just as it's about to get balled by the bowler, this piece of slate fizzed past my ear hole and dug into the ground right in front of me. I thought, goodness me, that was so close. And so I braced myself and I put my cap on backwards so at least protected the back of my neck. And this other piece of slate come past this side of my head. And I thought, oh, Lord. And, you know, I just said, God, what do I say to these guys? And the name, as clear as a bell in my mind's eye, it was like it came up in lights. The name Jaden came up in my head. Well, you start a conversation with God then, don't you? You know, you, God, what's that about? You know, I asked you to tell me what I said, what I would say to these kids. And, and this name, Jaden, is there. And I'm saying, I'm saying God, I don't, want to, I don't want to just turn around and say this name that might not be this kid's name. That'll be embarrassing for me. It'll be stupid. I'll look a clown. You know, why, why do you do this to me, God? And, and yet this name wouldn't go away, Jaden. And I'm having this bit of a wrestling match with God in a conversation. And in the end, I sort of come to the conclusion, do you know what? They don't know me. I don't know them. What's it matter if it's wrong? So, and as I'm having this conversation with God, there's these bits of slate fizzing past me. All So in the end, I turned around, and at the top of my voice, I just went, Jaden, stop chucking that slate. And this, this lad of about 14 dropped this slate. And he said, how do you know my name? <laughs> and I just went, well... God told me. <laughs> and he went, what's his name? And to his mate. <laughs> and I was going to say Derek, but this lad said, my name's Dylan. I thought, well, it was a D. It weren't far away. <laughs> but all the lads on, on my side of the cricket pitch who were fielding, they all heard me say this name. They heard this conversation between this lad and me about how do you know my name and everything like that. And... A few overs later, when the end of the innings happened and we were walking into the clubhouse to swap over and we were going to get ready for, to bat, this lad of 14 run on the pitch and he was behind me and he's saying, Mister, Mister, Mister. And I, I turned round and he held his hand out and he just said, I'm sorry for chucking slate at you. And I just shook his hand and I said, Oh, listen, you know, no problem, no problem. We went into the clubhouse and Straight away, these lads were saying, how, how did you know his name? How, how, that's weird. That's, you're weird. You know? And I'm saying, I, I, just, I just prayed and this name came up. Well, that was a conversation in the pub afterwards. That was like, what was that? You, you, you actually, that name came up and you, you that, was, that was amazing. And, the, you know, you'll probably hear more stories about cricket, actually, because quite a few things happened after that. I would say miraculous things, healings, things like that. Amongst that cricket team... And now, 
Definitely, those four atheists are still playing cricket in that team, and none of them would call themselves an atheist. I can't say that they're Christians, they're agnostics. They're open to being convinced, but you know, they've come a million miles. It's took 12 years. <laughs> it's took 12 years. But you know, in all that time, God's doing something in, in, in me at the same time. Patience, long-suffering, kindness, how I, how I communicate and stuff like that uh, with those guys. But um, that's just a little thing that, you know, it's, it's tough when God tells you to do something. You have this wrestling match with God. And yet, if you just simply obey, God turns up. God turns up. Acts chapter 9 verse 10 says this. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus, on his mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you were persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless. For they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they, they saw no one. And Saul picked himself up off the ground. But when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied, or maybe your version of the Bible says, here I am, Lord. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. And when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him in a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, Ananias said, but Lord, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to believers in Jerusalem. He's authorized by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles, to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show you how much, I will show him how much he will suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. And then he got up and he was baptized. That's an amazing, amazing 
part of the Bible. I want you to picture that scene. You know, if someone is going around murdering Christians, chaining them up, carting them off to prison, arresting them, and God tells you, go and lay hands on them and pray with them. (laughs) I think you'd have a conversation with God, wouldn't you? I think you'd sort of like go, hang about God, don't you know, don't you know what this guy's, of course God knew what he was like. And do you know what? It's nothing wrong with having a conversation with God. You know, a bit like I had this conversation because I was, I was just didn't want to be embarrassed. There's Ananias having this conversation with God because he didn't want killing. He didn't want stringing up. But Saul had already been prepared by Jesus. We've got to realize that when we're, when we're sharing the gospel, when Jana and Charlotte and you, hopefully, go out on the streets, God's already working in that person's life. Why? Because he loves them. He loves them so much. He sent his son to die for them. He doesn't want them to go to a, a godless eternity. He's already working in their lives. God was already working in Saul's life. He'd had an encounter with Jesus. He'd had such a powerful encounter that he'd become blind. His physical blindness was akin to his spiritual blindness. He was blind about who Jesus was. He just wanted to slaughter people who believed in Jesus. They were stupid. They were rebellious. They were going against. He didn't understand them. They were, they were, they were people who needed eradicating. That's a creek there. Hang on. But Ananias was obedient. Ananias was obedient. Do you know what? If Ananias stood before any one of us today, he wouldn't be our first choice. He wouldn't be our second choice. He wouldn't be our third choice. We'd choose Peter or John or Philip. We've talked about these people in this little series about being available to God. Ananias wouldn't even feature. We don't hear about him beforehand. And actually, the only time we hear about him after this particular account is when Paul's reiterating to people what happened to him on the road to Damascus. We never hear of Ananias again. He sort of like comes, is faithful, and gets on with the rest of his life in probably faithful anonymity. And yet, he's, he's obedient to God. And we know that God had amazing things for Saul to do. We know that Saul became Paul, who wrote 50% of the New Testament. Apostle, planted church after church after church, all throughout Turkey and, and wider and, and, and Greece. And we wouldn't be here today without Paul. But we wouldn't be here today without Ananias. Without this guy who was simply faithful to God and said, here I am. Gulp. <laughs> okay. Okay. God asked him for his obedience. And he had a bit of a conversation with God, but he obeyed. He obeyed. Saul was tracking down believers, but actually the Holy Spirit was tracking down Paul. Proverbs 19.21 says this, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. People might have all kinds of schemes to eradicate the church and have had, and yet we're still here, aren't we? Our society, our day and age might seem very, very antagonistic towards people of faith, but we're still here. 
Jesus is still alive. We've still got a message that's worthwhile that the, the, the world just cannot match the message. In fact, most blockbuster films run along the lines of biblical heroes anyway and biblical stories. You can see it time and time again. And yet we seem to have this animosity that will always be there. It will always be there because the world is different from heaven. And the world is broken. And God's coming back to put everything right. Jesus is going to restore everything. And actually, it's a good reminder for us that God is in pursuit of nasty people as well as nice people. We always want nice people to share the gospel with, don't we? People who won't interrupt us or people who won't come back to us with a, a barbed question or, or, a, or a rejection or anything like that. We, we're okay walking a journey with a nice person, but don't give us a nasty person, God. But actually, God's in pursuit of nasty people as well. And you know what? God saved you. And I don't want to be judgmental, but I think some of you were nasty at one stage. Forgive me. <laughs> I was. I was terrible in lots of ways. But if you're picking on a believer, you're picking on Jesus, aren't you? Don't ever think that you're on your own. Ananias was not on his own. And even though Saul was going around chaining up, imprisoning and killing Christians, you know, God was after him. God was after him. And God changed him. So if you're picking on somebody, if they're picking on, on, on believers, they're picking on Jesus. And as somebody prayed, you know, my father is bigger than your father. <laughs> Nobody's bigger than God. But Ananias' availability had consequences. His availability to God, his simple, yes, Lord, here I am, had amazing consequences that followed. Healing. Not just healing, amazing healing. People around were, were gobsmacked. Then Saul changed completely in his outlook. A transformation took place. So much so that he carried that transformation wherever he went. It was a pivotal moment in the whole of the New Testament, in the whole of history. Ananias, this, this anonymous bloke, just obedient to God, saying yes to God, making, making himself ob obedient, simple obedience and abandonment to God's voice. I wonder, I wonder if tomorrow you're just minding your own business and the Holy Spirit might whisper to you, go and say hello to that person. Go and Go and take a card to that person. Go and, go and cut your neighbour's grass. Go and whatever. Just on Friday, um, I decided to walk home. And uh, I'm walking home. We had lots of lovely offers of lifts and things like that from staff members. And that was kind. But I, I just thought, it's a nice day. I'm just going to walk home. And as I was walking home, there was a, a, an old guy just walking up Kettleston Road, well, I say walking, he had a walking stick and he was gripping onto the wall and he was, he was like, he, he was in a bit of a state. And uh, when I say state, he wasn't drunk or anything like that. He just, you know, he, he was recovering from a stroke, actually. And so I just stopped and I, I just said, can I help you, mate? Are you, are you, do you live far? Are you all right? And it took us 45 minutes to walk 100 yards. But 
I got to know him. I got to know what he used to do before he was retired. I got to know that he just had a stroke and that he he was recovering. And uh, I got to pray with him. And uh, it was just a fantastic thing. And actually, quite a few people stopped and offered lifts and everything. He only lived around the corner. So, uh, So, you know, he had a very interesting life. And it was a God opportunity. And I wonder how many of those I personally miss. How many times that I'm just busy rushing about my day and getting on with my, my, my stuff that I've got to do for myself and everything like that. And I miss that, just that whisper from God saying, why don't you just do this? Why don't you just do that? Life would be so much more exciting if we just listened to God a bit more. If we just stepped out from God a little bit more. And who knows? We, we might not get an accolade for it. We not, might not get a space to even give a testimony about it or anything like that. But God's seen that. God's seen that. And who knows what transformation that might bring about. Ananias is an amazing example of that. Anonymous guy. There he was available. Anonymous guy after that. We don't hear. But who knows? I'm sure, like Charlotte said, he went away absolutely buzzing and after that he learned I need to hear from God and I need to be obedient to God he fulfilled the job had him had him to do have I have I been obedient have I am I going to be obedient am I going to make myself available are you Saul had encountered Jesus along the road but now he was encountering one of the followers of Jesus and it says that he got healed and then he went on and, being, and he was baptised. It's sad. It's really sad. You probably know people in your life that don't come to church anymore and not bothered about God anymore, don't want to know him because they've met a so-called follower of Jesus who hasn't led them on to baptism, who hasn't led them on to a healing, but has put them off. Completely put them off, Jesus. Completely put them off reading the Bible. Completely put them off coming to church. We all know people like that. And that's a really, really sad thing. You know, let's pray that in our own lives, we're not so full of our own stuff that we put people off. Because if they've had an encounter with Jesus, the last thing that Jesus wants us to do is derail that and put them off. May we be people that encounter them after they've met Jesus and bring them on in faith. Bring them on into becoming followers of Jesus. Bring them on to be people who are baptised and full of the Holy Spirit. Ananias' approach to Saul was one of, of love. I can imagine it. I can imagine him being absolutely scared stiff of Saul. You know, this is the guy that, you know, he's going around slaughtering people. I can imagine being Ananias saying, he is blind, isn't he, God? I mean, he's properly blind. He's not going to see me, is he? He's not, he's not going to know what I look like. If you've, I once went to an identity parade and I thought that I was going to be behind a screen or something like that. And when I wasn't, I was scared stiff <laughs> of pointing these lads out who were nicking my car. But anyway, but, you know, you can imagine Ananias going, you know, Okay, God, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll, I'll lay my hands on him and then I'll, I'll leg it. <laughs> I'll go. But he reached out. And the first thing that he said was, Brother Saul, Brother Saul, 
This was a murderer. This was the arch enemy of believers. And he reached out and he said, Brother Saul, he reached out in love. His touch was in love. And Saul was brought on in God. When God gives us an opportunity to reach out to people, make sure you reach out in love. Make sure you reach out in in kindness. You might have a wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit, but make sure you reach out with the fruit of the Spirit as well. Because that's exactly what the Bible says. But be encouraged. Saul wasn't even looking for God. He was looking for God's followers because he was looking to kill him. He wasn't even looking for God. You might know people in your life that don't seem to be looking for God in any way. They're not bothered. They might be atheists like my friends were, you know, but don't worry. They might not be looking for God, but God's looking for them. This is a fantastic story about people who seemingly aren't looking for God, but they find him anyway because God's looking for them. And if there's three things that we can learn about Ananias' availability, number one is he followed, yes, Lord, Here I am. He made himself available. Number two, he turned a foe into a friend. A person who was antagonistic, selfish, evil in many ways. And yet became soft, sensitive, open to God and growing in God. And he facilitated. He was a channel of the Holy Spirit. And we only hear about him in that brief moment. But I'm pretty sure that God took him on. It doesn't say this, but I really hope that God gave him the the opportunity or the blessing to baptize Saul. We we don't know who baptized Saul. It just says he went on and was baptized. I I really hope that um, that Ananias was there. I I hope he was baptizing him in that way. That would have been a a fantastic thing. But we, we just don't know. But you know what? Saul became Paul, became a superhero in a scriptural sense. But behind every superhero, there's a hero who we don't know about. There's a hero we don't know about. There's a guy who told Billy Graham about Jesus. There's a, there's a person who told uh, Fanny Crosby, hymn writer, about Jesus. There's, there's people related to them or not related to them who told them about Jesus and that brought them on. And the New Testament is full of those people. Full of those people. Some of them it names. Some of them it just calls believers, followers of the way. But all we know is thousands of years later, we're here. The church is here. The church is thriving all over the world, worldwide. The church is growing. The church is is thriving. Because of these heroes that you never hear about. Who just said, here am I God. Here am I. So what do we do about that? What do we do about that? Well, actually, we listen to God. That's what we do. The first thing is we listen to God. And this is what Jesus says. In Revelation 3.20, he says this. Here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. That's what Jesus says. And we've used that. We've not misused it. We've used it in gospel preaching. And we've said to non-Christians, Jesus is standing at the heart of your door, the door of your heart, 
and, uh, and he's knocking. And you might have come to faith through somebody saying that to you. And that's fantastic. There's nothing wrong with that. But actually, in Revelation, Jesus is speaking to a church. A church who have got so indifferent to God. There's just, you know, they can do it. They, they, don't, they don't really need the Holy Spirit. They can do it. They can sing the songs and they can, they can hear the word and they can go home and have the Sunday dinner. And, you know, it's just like, you know, it's what we do. I guess it's a, a sort of religious sort of form. And Jesus says to them, you're neither hot nor cold. You're sort of like mediocre, lukewarm. And that's not good. I don't want you to be like that. Here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. I, I want to be involved in, in your gatherings, in your life. I want to fill you up when you gather together so that you're full up when you go out. And I'm here to be alive to you. Well, what, what do we do about that here? Well, actually, I'd, I'd really recommend you, I'd, I'd, I'd beseech you, if that's a word that you understand, go home and read Revelation chapter 3. Allow God, the Holy Spirit, to speak to you because there's an awful lot of humility and, and repentance needed for us to start hearing from God. But I really believe that uh, when we're gathered together, we need to hear from God more. And we're a Pentecostal church. And Corinthians says, be Pentecostal, but do it in a, do it in a good way. Don't be crazy. Don't be out of order. Do it in a sensible way. So, okay, wh what do we do about that when we gather? Well, a couple of weeks ago I said, you know, we're going to be trialing something that hopefully will help us be more open to the Holy Spirit in our, in our worship times. So, okay, next week is youth service, and it might not happen next week, but the week after that, what we're going to do is we've got a small team of people, some elders and some others, and that, um, one person's going to be on sort of like shift every week, and they're going to stand just in between the two cameras there, and uh, they're just going to be available as sort of like a filter, a filter of what God's saying to us. And you might not be an extrovert coming to the front and whispering in my ear, oh, I think God's saying something, or I think I've got something from God. That might be the last thing that you want to do. And actually, Amy was one of them last week uh, when she said that, you know, she's always struggled with that. You might be introvert. And to have someone at the back, when you get a scripture, a picture, an inkling of what God might be saying or a full-on prophecy, just to go back and say to them, look, I think God's saying this. And an amazing thing about that is if God really is saying something, somebody else might have gone to that person and said a similar sort of thing or given them a, a picture to back that up or a scripture or something like that. And then the person at the back can signal to Andy or Rob, whoever's leading worship, Phoebe, and at, at an appropriate time, we can just die down the music and we can share. We think God's saying this. And that'll give us a chance to respond. Because I don't know about you, I, I, I love worship, I love singing, but some of the songs are good, some of the songs are okay, but like, we want to hear from God as well, don't we? We want to hear from God. 
And we want to respond to God. We want to say, here, here we are, God. And if something is shared, and you know what? We halve the worship time. We're not really halving the worship time. We're halving the singing time. And we're getting with God. And we're doing what God's saying. And we've got to be open to God. But please read. Read Revelation 3. Because that's all about preparing our hearts. Because, you know, you might be lukewarm. I might be lukewarm. We might not be there yet. And, it, 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 you know, we might have to prepare our hearts. And, uh, you know, if we want to hear from God, God's going to speak to us, isn't he? And actually, right now, Jesus is saying, here I am. Here I am. I'm available. I'm available. So you might, you might want to respond to God right now. You might want to say, God, you know, I want to be really open. I want to, at the end of this little series about... Uh, being available, we're going to go on and talk about, our next series is going to be about the fruit and the gifts, fruit and the gifts. They're never, good, they're never apart. Fruit and the gifts must always be together. And that's true for here, it's true for out there as well. But you know, if you want to say, God, I'm available, and you're saying that you're available to me, and I want to make sure there's nothing in between us, that is just nothing that, you know, I want to hear from God, and I want to really sort of be used by you, then please, as we're singing this, this, this last song, if you musicians want to come up, you just come forward. And do you know what? Some people might pray with you, but this is more about you saying, here I am, God. Here I am. So somebody might lay their hands on you. Somebody might not. But you know what? We've just got to be willing to be anonymous and just before God say, this is me, God. Here I am. Whatever, however you want to use me. So, let's stand, shall we? If you want to respond to God, you can come forward. If you're not able to come forward for one reason or another, then just where you are, let me, let me encourage you, do business with God. Do business with God in whatever shape or form that is. God might say to you, well, just kneel before me. Do that. Do that. Just be simply obedient to him. And let's be really open to God doing something in and through us, in his name. Bless you.